Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Odyssey Podcast, where me and my brother truck through cinema on a quest to find the best films ever made. And this week, we're talking about the Shawshank Redemption. The Shawshank Redemption. The Shawshank Redemption. You know a lot of the executives credit the name of this movie with why it fucking bombed. Really? Yeah. They said the Shawshank Redemption was a horrible name for the movie. Also, apparently it had like 15 different titles as they were working on it. And they were like... What's the name of the book? Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. But they were like, if we call it that, then they're going to think it's about Rita Hayworth. It's not really about Rita Hayworth. It's not not even a little bit. (laughs) It's a little bit. But not, not, not much. Not, not really. It's about like 3% about Rita Hayworth. Just, just like 3%. And then mm-hmm. a lot of Raquel Welch. Yes, Raquel Welch. M- much appreciated, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, so. Name that movie that mm-hmm. they used for the poster. Uh, 3000 3, AD or something like that. Three, okay, three all right. I'm pretty sure that's right. Because I'm fucking good at this. I'm, I'm not actually. I do no it's research. Just a, a very... Uh, very uh, iconic image. Iconic image, yeah. Yeah. We got we just finished watching the Shawshank Redemption like literally thirty seconds ago. And yep. uh, yeah, we're, oh, we're here. And uh on a new big sixty inch TV. Yes, yes. We finally We've upgraded, in... we've invested. <laughs> yeah, before we were watching this on a on a little like, you know, uh twelve inch black and white, and mm-hmm. now we, we upgraded. Mm-hmm. Finally I can see what I'm looking at. Um, but yeah. The Shawshank Redemption, number one IMDb films of all time. Is it really? There's actually a funny story as to how it got there, but I'll get into that a little later. Well, I mean, you might as well just get into uh, it now. Okay, fine. fine. <laughs> well, it's kind of it's kind of a long story, but I guess I'll get into it. So, The Shawshank Redemption, on the IMDb top 250 films of all time, it's, it's a number one. Yeah. It used to be The Godfather, and it was The Godfather basically from the IMDb inception to like 2008 or whatever. Sure. When... The Dark Knight comes out. Okay. And The Dark Knight and all the Dark Knight fanboys wanted to put that as the number one film because it had already gotten to like, it was already like a pretty highly rated film. Sure. But because of how the review aggregate and all that stuff works, because IMDb is fucking weird, you need to have a certain amount of reviews on there and it needs to be weighted and all this other shit. Yeah. So they tried to pull The Godfather down and push Dark Knight up, but they couldn't push The Dark Knight to number one. But they did bomb reviews on The Godfather to pull it down. Okay. And it pushed Shawshank up to number one. Because Shawshank was number two? Yeah. Ah, exactly. I see. So, so it's one of those weird internet uh, things. Well, so that you're saying that the that Shawshank Redemption was number two on its own merits. On its own merits. And granted, like, really good film. Mm-hmm. Can we get that out of the way? This is... A yeah, really good. Really good. Really good. good. It's... Easily in the top ten of the movies we've watched so far. Like this might even scrape like my top five. Really, I'm I'm a little impressed by that. I think I don't know if this maybe, is better than Silence of the Lambs for me. Maybe scrape my top five. It, I, I think it's probably better for me than Silence really? of the Lambs. I don't, I don't know. This has a lot more of the like background like chewed to it than Silence of the Lam- of the Lambs. Although I don't think the script and the acting is as good. But mm. I think it kind of makes up for it with, like, all the chewable themes behind it. There is a lot of chewable themes behind this movie. Because, do we have to explain this movie? Or, or is this rage, like, cultural touchstone oh, status? Oh, we, we, we gotta explain the movie. Okay. Because the movie revolves around Andy Dufresne and Red as their prisoners in Shawshank. Uh, Shawshank Penitentiary up in Maine. Because it's based on a Stephen King book. So, obviously, it's in Maine. It's in Maine. It's in Maine. 
and set in the 40s by the way yeah which it, i didn't re- oh by the way we've watched this movie before uh, yes a long time ago this um, well this was the the tbs tnt movie this this i don't know if it's the tbs TNT no movie. dude like this movie has the most airtime on tnt than any other movie Does ex- it actually except mrs doubtfire that's the only movie that's that's above it, and this has oh, two hundred fifty hours a year. Cool. All yeah. Right. I, no, I I shouldn't challenge your power power level like that. Ah, <laughs> uh, you fool! <laughs> I read the IMDb trivia, but yeah, and it follows them from nineteen forty seven up to nineteen sixty seven. So like twenty years of them in prison, and through that you see Andy Dufresne basically being subjected to the worst things you can in the American prison system. Him kind of understanding how he can operate inside of it, and eventually, I guess, spoilers for a 20-something-year-old movie, escaping. Through that, we also see Red, who goes from this very jaded, institutionalized prisoner to somebody who wants not only to be free, but become, like, the man he was, like a human being again, mm-hmm. and not a a number that he was in the prison system for so long. And it's a, it's a very poetic movie. It's a very lovely movie. It's very well done. And it's probably in top five Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins performances each. This is probably like top three oh, Tim Robbins Here, I want to talk about that real quick. Tim Robbins, what else have I seen him in? Like, I don't recognize that name at all. And I was like, he was so good in this. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, he's actually, he's actually in one of my favorite movies of all time. And that's Jacob's Ladder. He was also in The Player. He was also in... Because, uh, honestly, stuff you've seen him in is probably a little... Eh. He was in, like, A Spy Who Shagged Me. Oh, God. Uh, He was in Mystic River. I don't know what that is. Anchorman? Okay. Uh, he, That was a cameo. That was a cameo. He's in Tenacious D. He is in Tenacious D as The Stranger. He, he must have been in stuff, like, earlier, right? Like, around when Shawshank came out? Yeah, uh, Jacob's Ladder, 1990, he was in Top Gun. Yeah, he was in Twister, yeah, he was the, I think he was, like, the nerd in Twister, I think. Wow, so he really hasn't been in much else. Well, to me, at least. Yeah, like, honestly, um, Jacob's Ladder is one of my favorite movies, I think that's a fantastic, like, psychological thriller. It's Mm -hmm. also a huge inspiration for the Silent Hill games, which I love. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's also in The Player, which is actually, like, a very good film, and it's a huge, just kind of middle finger to like the hollywood studio system and it's a really like smart well done movie oh i see you got a best actor at cans for that yeah and then you have shawshank but you know it's it's one of those things where he's a very good actor he's just a very maybe not even picky actor but he had a window of like star status and this movie was also a financial flop so even though it's so it's so good. Oh like, yeah, it was I'm, so good. did it like hit it out of the park with the critics at the time and, and like, just the audiences so, didn't see it? I'll just do you want me to ruin your your day right now? Okay, so this movie comes out in nineteen ninety four. Yeah. And some other movies we've talked about have come out in nineteen ninety four. Namely Forrest Gump. Uh-huh. And Forrest Gump swept that Oscars, if you don't remember. Well, I know Forrest Gump swept that Oscars, but And also Pulp Fiction came out that year. Uh and I see. Yeah, and also The Lion King, which outgrossed basically all these movies. What happened more or less... It got buried? It got buried. It released against The Lion King. 
Ooh, oh, I believe that's, it, a, that's I believe it either released against The Lion decision. King or against Pulp Fiction. It released against one of those two movies. I, I wouldn't put it against the movie if it released opposite Pulp Fiction. Yeah. But I would put it against the movie if it released against, uh, or opposite Lion King. Like, you, you know you're not... You're not going to do hot it, against it, Disney. It happens. But, and the other thing is, it was also nominated for seven Oscars and lost every single, single one, one of them. And, yeah, basically it, it was a victim of not only so, the year, the time it came out, but also, like, just So, it got that. some some critical, like, notice. Oh, yeah. A lot of critics really enjoyed it. They dug in on the themes of it being, it's like, oh, it's like a spiritual film. It talks about, you know... Not only the human spirit, but there's definitely a religious allegory in it. Of Andy Dufresne being like this kind of like Christ-like figure going through this like penance for for his sins or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's a it's a a lot of people really dig this movie. I mean, it was number two on the IMDb and now number one for a reason. People really love this movie, but it got released uh, out of a twenty-five million dollar budget. It made like eighteen. Really bad. That's not good. Not good. And honestly, it only really made any money back on home video and on television yeah and that that's like it people really didn't dig on this movie being like this good until after the oscars yeah way later and you know a couple years after that but that's kind of the so that's probably why i haven't seen tim robbins in anything else probably i mean he's been in things he's still a working actor it's just his roles now being a man in like his 60s now have probably just narrowed down a little bit yeah yeah but I'm just saying, like, this is the reason why is because, you know, this movie flopped and they got to blame it on somebody. <laughs> you know, blame it on your leading man, not on the guy that wrote uh, the best Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Wait, what? Jonathan Demme is a screenwriter. Wrote, the, wrote this? Wrote, he direct, wrote and directed it. This is his first directorial film. Oh, really? I believe so. Wow. Uh, I, okay. This is his second. His first one was one of those, like, Roger Corman schlock horror films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we don't usually his, count those. This was his first, like, like people film. Wow. Yeah. Also, Rod, fucking Roger Corman again. Dude, like, he will he will be ever-present. <laughs> like, if it weren't <laughs> that, for the facts... That man scene, is immortal. That man is immortal. He's still alive. No, no, He's I'm saying... He's producing saying, movies. No, no. Oh, God. I could go to his Roger Corman school no, no, and become but, a PA for a dollar a day. <laughs> but but what I mean is that, like, he's a, he's immortalized in film. Like, he has put his stamp... It'll, it is never going away. I I feel if he you wanted... He is, like, the Colosseum of movies. Like, they... To, eons will go by and we will still know oh yeah it's roger corman you know? I, I, roger corman influenced these things to, okay um uh, this person's writer, great granddad worked for roger corman a writer <laughs> once talked about um J.R.R. tolkien as mount fuji and it, it, it kind of applies to this you know roger corman's the mount fuji of cinema <laughs> though though you when you paint the skyline in japan you see mount fuji in the background and if you don't then you were standing upon it <laughs> like if you talk yes. of cinema you're either yes. he's either in the background or you or you were talking upon his works yeah it, it's a fascinating like thing but yeah, no you know. i think that's that's true about modern it's, pro- it's probably true about modern cinema i mean in the background somewhere is influenced by roger corman scorsese spielberg coppola lucas the list goes on because plenty of people are inspired by them and yeah. they were inspired by corman so yeah I, Law of relativity. My, my editing teacher at l- my film Don't school, tell me that he worked for Roger Corman. She did, yes. Oh my she was God. an editor for, for Roger Corman films. Of and like she was. And like the ones in the 90s too. Like not like the 70s one. She was like way more recent than that. Uh-huh. And I was like, wait, he was still like 
what she's and like she's oh like, fuck yeah he still is <laughs> to this day that was our that was our roger corman aside you know i'm gonna get like a scoreboard and like start putting them up we're gonna hit bingo <laughs> we're gonna hit bingo all right i'm just that's, that's a it. bingo card I'm... for all of the talking points of our episodes <laughs> reference back to roger corman somehow oh. talk about the oscars where's the where's yankee doodle dandy fit into all this oh god yankee doodle dandy has to fit into every single episode <laughs> i swear I, that that movie is like just it is now, the bar dude it is the bar you have to be that good to to be on this list do you make me feel as nice as yankee little dandy if not i'm sorry yeah get the fuck off the list uh but but shawshank redemption right after we watched this i the first thing out of my mouth was that is such a nice movie that is like a nice like fine wine like going down this movie is smooth this movie is so good i think the reason why the movie seems so like nice at the end of it is because they really try and gloss over the terrible parts that of prison that happened to Andy Dufresne. You mean like like the sisters and like getting the shit kicked out of him and, and the hole. And the hole and the hole again. And the hole again. And then, you know, having his only chance of being free, being being gadded. Yeah. Just about yeah. everything bad that could happen to Andy except for death happened to him. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And it the, also that ending is just so just like heartwarming and uplifting. On the note of the ending of the movie, spoiler alert, yeah. which this is the second spoiler alert. Oh, the movie's also over 25 <laughs> years old. Sorry. Um, did you think that they needed to show Red and Andy, like, meeting up at the end? I thought they were going to cut at the bus. In the um, novella it's based on, that's where the story ends. Mm, where, where Red's going to the border? Red's going to the border, and the last line, I think, of the book is, I hope I can make it across the border so I can see my friend again. And then... It just ends. That's it, yeah. But, um... For this, I believe it was a choice by um, the director, Frank Darabont. He wanted it to have a more Close. a, more closure, more uplifting ending. And I to say it doesn't work, I think, is disingenuous. Because I do think it works. I think yeah, it's a it very good ending. It's just one of those things where I think if you don't have it, the movie definitely has a different different aftertaste it has like a sour or more sour tone at the end i don't even know if it's a more sour tone i think that's what i mean is it has a more sour tone like if it ends at in the bus right Mm -hmm. it's where it's like you know he you he doesn't know if he's gonna meet him if he's gonna cross the border he's still living in fear i don't think so i think that that point then it's asked saying he's living in hope because he's now going into the into the into the black right and he's like I just hope I can do it. You know, he's leaving Maine. He's doing all this stuff. And that's it's true. like, it's, it's also a thing of the audience being like, you don't see them, but oh, you hope they do. And that's the thing. The movie's about uh, hope and the human will and yeah, overcoming, you know, Yeah, when you put it that way, I can see it. I mean, the movie's also very weird to talk about. Well, how do you, do you think it is really weird to talk about? Maybe a little bit, mostly because when I was watching it, I think it's one of those things where sometimes I watch I'm watching a movie and I'm like, all right, where's where's the where's the flaw in this? Where's the crack in the glass? And I'm like, there's no cracks in the glass. Eh, am I feeling? Is there any in there? And now I'm like, done. And I like absorbed the movie, and I'm thinking about it. And is this like a Silence of the Lamb situation where it's objectively a perfect film, but it's just not 
enough no perfect there's there. there's definitely like enough under the surface of this quote-unquote perfect film yes we put big air quotes on the big air quotes or, on or perfect. the study films right like yeah like science of the lambs um this and i don't know some other movies we've watched probably are the movies you study if you want to like like look at good movies what was the other movie we put with silence of the lambs was it all the president's men or i'm not sure if it was all the it might have been all the president's men yeah movies that have like that are objectively you know there's nothing wrong with them and you should study them if you want to understand like great cinema or how to make a great movie but, like, it's just, like, that's the thing. They're great study aids, but, like, under the surface, it's, like, there's stuff there. Oh, it's Bruce Cashin and the Sundance Kid. Butch that's Cassidy what it was. Bruce Cashin and the Sundance Kid. Yeah, that where, was the other one, not um, All the Presidents, man. Yeah, where it's, like, the script's, you know, basically perfect. The the acting is great across the board. The cinematography is wonderful. The themes, there's some there, but you know, it's not like Blade Runner where you can chew on it for hours. It's yeah, like, where you could just talk yeah. about it for, like, forever you yeah know? these are movies that are like i will have an effect on you you will remember them as being great you can name all the you know fun lines but they're not life-changing yeah you know but i think that uh, you're not giving uh, shawshank enough credit here you i think, think so? it, i think it has a lot of good themes to talk about i mean even like some of the, the like visual themes of the movie and like even like it's got theological themes like the um one of the themes of the movie is uh the parallel between like the Christ imagery with uh or no maybe not imagery but you know the the Christ theme with Andy Dufresne right I mean there is a Christ image at the end where he throws his arms oh up. yeah he's, where he throws he, his he's arms up posing in the, in the water <laughs> but like also like that that rebirth you know the the resurrection if you will of mm-hmm. him when he leaves the pipe when he's out when he yeah. enters the water he's baptized literally he. He, like, makes a full dunk in the water as he leaves. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all this imagery. You know, he's born again. And and you can even argue of him more as a Christ-like figure because he goes in there and he's objectively an innocent man and he's, like, mm-hmm. paying for, you know, these these sins or whatever, you know, though they're, they're not his or her, his are um, self-inflicted, you know, sins that he sees in himself. Really, you can look at it as he's paying for the sins of those around him. You know, he comes in there and he betters them as he suffers yeah right and that's a very like catholic thing oh definitely and it, it even feels like you know through the 20 years he's in there with all of his suffering really at the end of it what he does is he gives red the the ability to finally accept his sins and, and go well, free like, like uh, um how, how do i say it? like i hope i get the names right because i haven't picked up my bible in a couple months now but um a <laughs> couple months that's a that's a good christian boy right there <laughs> <laughs> comparatively to most people i guess <laughs> but um like and red is his paul right his last mm. apostle the person that goes on after him yeah and it's like uh, the group of people that he's with is like his apostles it's something i realized when they're on the roof towering i counted those and it it's literally andy and his 12 apostles and it's and it's so interesting when you transpose this like religious like theological theme on here because it's a really good theme for this movie it's mm-hmm. pretty thick too yeah it's, because like uh, well granted anytime you go like deep or any religious themology you can get a oh, lot it can of get chew. pretty thick yeah um it's like you can see the guards as like the romans and uh you can see the warden as like satan well you can see him as satan you can see him as i don't remember the the name of like the the 
the Roman authority at the time of Christ. I yeah, don't I don't know. If, Pontus you know, Pilate? Oh, I think it was Pontus Pilate. Pontus Pilate, Cause, yeah. Because the, the Rolling Stone was Pontus Pilate's, you know, seal his fate, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it could, well, or you could see the, the head of the guard as Pontus Pilate. Yeah, that's or true. Or you, you could see the, the warden as, like, Judas... You know, because he brings him in, mm-hmm. right? But he, you know, he betrays him. How do you? Maybe Thomas is Judas. Maybe. Well, it's very interesting because it's like the How? Judas figure is somebody who has to betray Andy, yeah. and I feel Andy's. I don't think Andy gets betrayed. He doesn't really get betrayed. No. I mean, it's 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 really interesting because it's like this is obviously not a one for one parallel of the yeah, no, of the passions not, of the Christ. It's not a one for one parallel, but I mean we can get pretty close and I think the warden does fit as like a as a Judas character, you know. I feel he fits more as like the, you know, as Satan or like the Lord the only, of the Order. He's the only person that betrays uh well he can play multiple roles here. That is he true. is the only one that betrays um Andy. He's the only yeah. one that does it, you know, with the whole, like, opt- obtuse? You calling mm-hmm. me obtuse? Yeah, yeah. Where, where Andy at one point sees him as a possible ally, or even as an, an equal or an ally, and then he puts him in his fucking place. Yeah, he he puts too much trust, you know, too much faith in... In the warden. In the warden. It's... It is interesting if we're going deep on that, on on the themes of religious allegory within the film because there's so much there like the bible is brought up constantly constantly and the warden is you know you know uh sets himself as a very pious man a man of the you know of um faith and he is shown to be you know a thief shown to you take bribes to abuse his prisoners to kill people he's a murderer too yeah yeah and it, and it's a thing where i think the movie does have a lot to say about maybe not even like faith in like a, a religious context but also like faith in like the human spirit yeah you know what what would a what can man go through and still and still bend but not break because andy goes through so much and red even goes through so much and at the end of the movie oh because of andy he he hasn't broken brooks goes through the same thing as, as red basically he spends 50 mm-hmm. years in prison and he gets out and he he, he breaks he the his his spirit was broken. He he became an institutionalized man. He could not exist outside of outside of those four walls. Yeah, and it's it's also the Brooks scene. Oh God, was that was that the tears? What a what a well no because like I'd seen it before it, yeah. and I knew what was gonna happen. I'm like man, dude, they really turned it up to eleven for this, right? <laughs> okay, you should. There, there's like there's like like three parts of the movie that i think are like like actually just just there to snap your soul in half mm-hmm. the brooks was here there to snap your soul in half the ending of the film i think that's there to try and snap your soul in half to get that like uplifting no. i think so well snap your snap your soul in half it is mean, not... yeah it means like you might break down in tears or something yeah so i think the, then i guess if that's the case then the brooks one is like the the real snap your soul in half yeah moment i think the other one is like where like the movie's trying to like aggressively manipulate your emotions. I think that's what I was talking about. Okay. Because the ending, it's trying to aggressively manipulate your emotions. Sure. To give yeah. You a happy to ending. get that like uplifting, happy feeling of you know we're all gonna be okay. You know. Yeah, and then I think the third one, um, honestly, it has to be when they're on the roof drinking. 
for for me because it's like mm-hmm. it's trying to make you feel or no 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 it's the it's the it's the music it's it's the music in the prison <laughs> i don't That's think it. it's either of those really it's get busy living or get busy dying and they're they're trying to they're I, trying to figure out like if, if andy's actually gonna kill himself damn it i hate it when you're right well, also, I hate it when you have objectively right opinions. <laughs> my, my opinions are always correct, and I have better hair than you. <laughs> you <laughs> bastard! <laughs> but Get a haircut, um, hippie. Um, I think that's like probably like one of the standout moments of the movie because like ev- they're trying to line it up to where he's gonna, he's gonna he, kill himself. He's yeah, gonna kill himself. You know, but also that like line that Andy tells Red has like so many meanings because on on the very surface value it means that andy's gonna get busy dying but what andy really means is that he's gonna get busy living and he hopes that red doesn't get busy dying yeah or or even or or even like or he or he know or the third level is that it implies that um andy's gonna get busy dying and but he hopes that red gets busy living yeah that that line has a lot of i guess readings if mm-hmm. if we're going into it because get busy living get busy dying because that's get busy living or get busy dying because that's or is very uh... the or matters yeah because that's the because that's the line that everybody takes from this movie right yeah that's the that's probably the you know top 100 movie quotes of all time that's in there probably yeah i, I actually think it is but I don't know, i'd have to look up where it is but get busy living or get busy dying it's a thing where within the confines of this wall the only autonomy you have is you know do you kill yourself or do you not right because you're because they're in, they're in prison they have no objective power to do anything on their own yeah the only thing they can really do is you know well they have control chaka. they have control over themselves and that's about it exactly and you know you can get busy living and you know busy busy work you know, and that, just doing it that gives another theme to this movie control yeah you know, like Andy, Andy only has only has control in his mind. Yeah. And he talks about it in the movie too. Talk, when he talks about like music, like Mozart, right? What got him through the, the week in the hole. Yeah. He's like, you know, it's 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 in here, you know, it's what they can't take away from you. And and the other thing, it's like he's always trying to find just a little bit little bit of like control or just cause cause control and autonomy is like really a cornerstone of like your your humanity, your mm-hmm. your decisions of yourself, how you control yourself how you carry yourself and he's trying to have some control of this prison you know make it a little bit better yeah gets the gets the library you know he and and that's like well, his first big he gets feet. the beers gets the beers then he gets the library, library. and then he gets the money <laughs> and then, then he gets, gets the women, women. <laughs> uh, well, i guess rita hayworth way before that <laughs> oh yeah i mean yeah then in marilyn monroe and then you know raquel welch he he's yep. going through some killers right there true god damn bangers (laughs) i mean uh objectively i'm just saying the three most beautiful women of cinema are in this movie i mean come on how many other movies can say that okay three of the top 10 most beautiful women in cinema okay you give me that one all right i'll give you that one you give me that one i was like i don't don't, know you're like jake gyllenhaal's eyes are not (laughs) jake gyllenhaal's eyes are not in this movie and scully isn't in this movie so i want (laughs) to oh oh yeah that that's yeah that's right you you fucking love x-files oh yeah x-files is great but yeah, just uh, first couple seasons though. <laughs> yeah, once it gets, starts getting arky, it kind of falls off at the yeah. end. Yeah, once Mulder left, it was done. Oh, it was way done. Yeah. Okay. Beyond done. But yes, so 1994, Heart of the X Files is on the air. Um, oh, true, actually. <laughs> yeah. 
And this, I, I, it's also another thing, you know. You guys slide into that that segue, kind of kind of hitting the hitting the umpire on the way in. Though, <laughs> you know, nineteen ninety four, this movie comes out, and I kind of wanted to talk about that, right? Because prison movies were a dead genre. I, I didn't the, know that there was a genre f- before this. I mean, I think the last big budget one was like Escape from Alcatraz, starring Clint Eastwood back in like the 70s. Oh, okay. I think that was like the last big one before this. Mm-hmm. And since then, they were B-movies, or they turned they turned into like schlocky movies in like the 80s, where it was like big-breasted women escaping the Philippine jungle prisons. Okay. They were those kind of movies. <laughs> okay. And then, and then this comes in, and it's, like, this big prestige drama. Mm-hmm. And, you know, audience reaction really liked it. Critics really loved it. Comes out. Nobody saw it. Nobody saw it. Why, why do you think this movie just didn't catch fire it needed to? It probably just released a, a opposite Lion King or some shit. It, Randy's like, it has to be that. It has to be that. Like, it had to have released opposite Lion King. I mean, because the other thing, it's like, this is also the year Forrest Gump comes out, right? And this, this is better than Forrest Gump. Yeah, I would this, say this is yeah, better. Yeah, this is better than Forrest Gump. It's probably easily better than Forrest Gump. Yeah, and... It, you know, the more we just talk about this movie, the more it's like inching its way up my ladder, you know? It's like... <laughs> yeah, it's just like, man, Roger Deakins cinematography, fucking Tim Robbins showing out. Morgan Freeman and oh, top this is three Roger Deakin as well. Yeah, this is the Roger Deakin Fucking cinematography. <laughs> you got to get behind him, dude. All right, and and you know, it's it's just such a fascinating thing to me that this movie was a bomb. Well, so it, you're trying to imply that this is the, part of the reason that this bombed is because it's a prison themed movie, right? Yeah, and those were like not very big, not popular, not you popular. Know? It. It Probably also had a very strange where you're like, I don't really want to watch a movie about a bunch of criminals. I mean, maybe. And also the thing where it has um, a title that people just said that it was difficult to like yeah, it's pass got a along. Lot of, it's got a lot of s- syllables and, you know, like Shawshank isn't really like... A word. Yeah, a word, you know. Like, you're like, I don't know, it's like something re- redeem or redemption? I don't know. F- fucking um, <laughs> i think it was i think it was uh tim robbins when he was um in an interview he was talking about that he's like yeah uh some fans came up to me and they when the movie came out and he said i loved you in that movie oh it was like the 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 uh saw uh, the saucer uh re- re- redemption this something like that and the movie had come out like a week ago yeah so they had to have seen it like not that long and he like bumped into him and he's yeah. like how did you already forget the name of the... Oh, we've made a huge mistake. Oh, God. Yeah. But to, to round back around to the... Uh, the real movie. Yeah. No, well, it, to the, the prison themes of this movie. You know, this movie has a lot to say about prisons. Prisons are prisons suck. Well, mostly prisons suck and there's a lot of crime that goes on in prisons. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I watch a lot of those, like, you know, YouTube people that talk about, like, oh... I was in prison and this is how shit goes down. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's like some people I see on like podcasts who are like, Oh, you know, yeah, I was in jail and they talk about it. And it's, it runs the gambit. Either it was, yeah, I, it was boring as shit. I read all the time and I just counted days and that was my prison stay. Or yeah, it sucked. I got a lot of good Coke though. And I'm got a lot of good cocaine in prison. What? Yeah, it, it runs that gambit. And this movie, I, is this even an accurate portrayal of, like, a prison? 
I mean, it's probably well, not that far-fetched. Yeah, it's not that far-fetched. I mean, the only thing is... The only things that probably far-fetched is, you know, how many people the, the Captain Guard murders. Or the, the Captain of the Guard murders. Yeah. That's probably pretty, a little far-fetched. Pretty openly and kind of blatantly. Yeah. You know? I mean, well, it was the 40s. 40s, 50s. The, all these people are serving life sentences. Who yeah. really cares? <laughs> and, and also, Andy being able to tunnel through. what What was that? 20 feet of like shitty concrete and the only thing keeping it keeping it hidden was was a single poster there's like three posters over the course of like 30 years yeah. or 20 years well andy probably made damn sure to keep those things fucking nice <laughs> yes yeah I mean, right, that's... Like, Yo, can I get some fucking wax or some shit? Fucking make the poster that. like a fucking half inch thick. <laughs> fucking, he would frame it up on there, I swear. <laughs> I mean, that... Because, I, I mean, some people have brought this up where it's like, oh, the, the plot holes of the movie. Oh, the, the if the, the warden ever opened up the Bible, oh, he would have found the rock hammer and it would have been over. Or if the, you know, poster ever fell, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But I feel like that's not even, like, a real argument of the quality of the film because they're not plot holes. They're just, like, convenient things, I guess, to pick at. Yeah, they're, they're more just, like, you know, conveniences that are just, like, they happen to work out. You know, it's a fucking movie. Get along on the ride. Mm-hmm. Well, the warden, like, he opened the Bible. He did. And, there, and like, the first, all the way up to Exodus, also. Of course the rock hammer is in ah, Exodus. fuck. God damn. Of course it's in. God damn it. <laughs> you okay, Randy? Now there's now there's another allegory of fucking um, Andy Dufresne being Moses and um, Red being the uh, Israelites. Yeah, and then that puts the warden and, as the as the pharaoh. Yeah. Okay. Also, who's the true villain of this? Is it the warden or is it the captain of the guard? I mean, I feel it's the warden. Be the warden. It's right? the warden. Yeah, no, the captain of the guard. Um, is he, just like he's he's the muscle. Mm. I mean, he's the intimidating presence. He's the one that you know kills people. But he's he's a tool for the warden to command. Now, would you say that like? You know, the warden is the more thoughtful character, and the captain of the guard is more just like a presence, you know, just like a force of nature. I mean, I feel like, uh, well, the captain of the guard, he's played by uh, Clancy Brown, also known as Mr. Krabs, and... Great actor. Fantastic actor. Also, like, he is also in Highlander, he's the Kurgan, and he's fucking great. Is he really? Oh, yeah. He's also Lex Luthor in the Justice League cartoons. Wow, dude, yeah. Clancy Brown's fucking all over the place. Oh, yeah, like, no. This man's shooting nothing but net. Yeah, no, dude, Clancy Brown's a great actor. This like, he's like, awesome. This is like if you read the first half of Arnold Schwarzenegger's biography. And you're just like, this is fantastic. And, and like, you read, like, the, the next, like, 20 years, and you're like, he's just hitting bangers after bangers. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, yeah, we don't get into that. <laughs> we, don't get, we don't get into the whole maid saga. <laughs> but um, or, the, or the, um, oh, I won't get into that. Yeah, but... That's just, like, the the thing. I feel Clancy Brown's the, um, as the head of the guard, he's more of, like, a force of nature that's being directed. Mm -hmm. It's just a thing where he's, you know, a force of nature, and when he's not being directed, he's just a whirlwind of destruction, you know? Yeah. He beats the shit out of people. He's also just, like, ever-present. You always feel like he's around. You know, I always feel like every guard that's in the background is him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so true. And also how all the, the prisoners, even, like, 
when they're talking amongst themselves, you can always tell like one of them who, one of the, you know, apostles will call them in the background is always kind of like glancing over his shoulder. It always feels like they're being washed, which they, they are. It's a fucking mm-hmm. prison. I always, it always feels like they're not just being watched by the guards. They're being watched by him, by yeah. Clancy Brown. <laughs> yes. And it, it's, and also when Andy, ta- you know, says something to Clancy Brown being like, do you trust your wife? You know, yada, yada. And he's ready to just throw him off a fucking like five story building. Yeah. And it's like his, his fuse is that short mm-hmm. and that makes him so, so much scarier. Yeah. Cause he has no repercussions. Yeah. He can get away with literally anything. And all the other guards are like, you do you cap. You, you do you cap, man. I'm not going to say shit <laughs> or else I'm going off the roof next. Yep. And then you have, you know, the, the warden who, I really feel like he's this, he is the omnipotent presence beyond, um, Clancy Brown. Mm-hmm. And cause every time he's on screen, he feels like so slimy. Yeah. Even when he's like trying to be, you know, nice or whatever, like he's trying to have like a, just a nice dialogue. He feels so slimy. Everything he says just has like, you, you're you going to sell me a bad car. You are selling me a bad car. I'm getting a bad loan. Why am I here? Uh, what, what is the name of this place again? <laughs> uh, is this Hotel California? Because I feel like I can't leave. Oh, God. And that's... But that's the thing, you know. You it, know he's going to sell you a bad car, but you bought it anyway. Yeah. That's that's the warden. <laughs> he's, the, he's the greatest bad car salesman in, uh, in cinema. But the movie is just so engaging just beyond that. Because, you know, we, we talked a little bit about you know, the characters, right? Andy, Red, you know, Warden... Um, but even, even beyond that, the movie also looks beautiful. Yeah, it shot really well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for being a movie that's set primarily indoors in a prison where you would figure it would look, you know, kind of dingy or, or maybe the production design wouldn't, you know, hit every mark, but like you feel not only, you know, the camera works well, but the production design works well. And you can tell the movie's aging as you're yes. going along, you feel the passage of time, and I think I felt like they aged up um, the the Andy really well, actually. Like oh the, yeah, the, just like the just the touch of gray. Yeah, you know, once it's like the ten year mark, and then you know he's got like the full like almost full on white. Yeah, at the twenty year mark. Yeah, and then he starts wearing. You start noticing he starts yeah, wearing, glasses. wearing glasses. You start noticing like the crow's feet coming on with the makeup, and that's the thing. It's, it's so subtle. Yeah, it's so it's so well done. Yeah. Which I feel like age makeup is something that's like it's like a lost craft nowadays. Oh god, yes. Because everybody's dude. just like just CGI and it looks like shit. <laughs> and and the other thing is like there's some actors where if you put them in old age makeup, it does it just doesn't work. Yeah, it just doesn't it's work. It's like like um Paul Rudd. Like because Paul Rudd's looked the exact same for thirty years because he's a vampire. Yes. It's like you, Same thing with Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves, yeah. Or, um, e- even actors like Robert Downey Jr. Like, there's only so much old age makeup you can put onto them before it starts looking... In- until you, like, you're, you you just say fuck it and just completely transform them into somebody else. Exactly, right? Where this, it's, like, super subtle. And, like, the other thing is, like, Morgan Freeman, I know he's he's an older actor at this point, right? I actually am not 100% sure how old he is in this. I'm probably guessing around, like, his mid, mid to late 40s, maybe 50s. Yeah. And he takes old age makeup so well. Oh, so, so well. well. Like, because it's... Also, a... I wonder who they got to play, or to have as that, like, photo of him when he's young. That's actually his son. 
Oh, it's his son. It's 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 um Morgan Freeman's son, who I think it was his youngest son, uh-huh. or something like that, or it might have been like it, it was one of his sons. He got him to take the picture, and he was that's him. Also, he has a cameo in the movie. He's one of the voices yelling "Fresh Fish." Oh, is he really? Yeah. Also, he is. I'm gonna put a lot of also's here. He's also the fingerprint analysis guy in Seven, oh. another Morgan Freeman movie. Hmm. You know, nepotism at its finest. <laughs> Yeah, no. He, I mean, he's actually he's actually I'm, a good character I, actor. It's fine. I mean, I mean, hey, it works. I mean, hey. <laughs> but yeah, um, and but that's that's the thing. Like, and also Tim Robbins takes that old age makeup so well, really well. And that's a credit to like obviously the makeup department and you know an actor's faces because have you ever you've heard about this right where ninety percent of direction is just casting and then yeah yeah but the other thing is a lot of casting is just the face. The and look. The look. There's Tim some... Robbins has the look for the character he's playing. He does. He looks like somebody who would be this really cold, kind of quiet, to himself guy. Real methodical. Real methodical, always in his head. And every time he opens his mouth, it just has a little bit of weight to it. Because just looking at him, he looks like a guy who just, when he says something, it's because he fucking means it. Yeah, he only says things he needs to say. And then you have Morgan Freeman, who always looks like everything his he's saying should be should be in in a documentary and it should be <laughs> revered. Hey, dude, ninety percent of the reason he was cast was because of his voice. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows. Like, that, yeah. it's just common knowledge that Morgan Freeman has an amazing voice. And I mean, the the guy narrated March of the Penguins for God's sakes. Yes, and and, and guess guess getting into the politics here. You know, originally they wanted like like. Paul Newman or Robert Redford or you know um, Bruce Willis. They wanted like these specific actors, right? Yeah. You notice how all the people I listed were white dudes? Uh huh. Because in the book, Red is is an Irish guy. Yeah. And then uh, they make the reference in the movie where yeah. he's like, uh, I guess I'm Irish. Exactly. That's actually why it's in the movie. It's okay. kind of a, a wink nod to people who read the book. But Jonathan Demme was like, or wait, no, I think Frank Darabont. Did I say Jonathan Demme? Ah, oh, son of a bitch. But yeah, Frank Darabont because he directed this movie. Oh, okay. He was like, Morgan Freeman, that guy is red. And he's the only person I ever saw being red when I read the book. And Stephen King was like, what? Stephen King is like, did you skip over the part where I described how the man looks? <laughs> I, I feel you've missed something, uh, missed something, uh, Miss, Mr. Darabond. But it's such great casting. Yeah, it really, it really is. It's so, it's so good. And also kind of, you could kind of see it as like a theme where, um, at least like up in Maine at around this time, like on the inside, it doesn't, it matters less what you are. Yeah. Which, I mean, I'm not sure is reflected on reality yeah. in current times, but yeah. I mean, maybe in Maine around that time, I could see it. I mean, it's the other thing where... Also, in, Red has made himself useful. Yes. To the people around him. Yes, that is uh, that's like the first hint that people on on these prison YouTube channels I watch say if you're going to prison and you're gonna be there for a stretch, find a hustle, whatever it is. You, you become good at drawing. Get be funny, or like learn something you can get. If you can even get candy in routinely, that's a hustle that'll get you by. Mm-hmm. And. In this, we kind of see with Red what that kind of does. You know, he has this hustle. He becomes the guy that can get you things. You know, he can find things for you. 
but it also puts him far more institutionalized in the prison because yeah. now he's a cog in the machine and it's both a a pro for him making his life easier and you know he becomes you know the guy the popular guy but it also makes him like it makes him so he starts having trouble even imagining himself on the outside yeah and that's a whole thing about this movie is you know the longer you're locked away the harder well, it is to leave because red's made a literal career out of this yeah a the, literal career a 20 or what 30 year 40 40 oh yeah i guess at the end of the movie yeah for a 40 year long career i mean most people retire on 40 year long careers <laughs> and he ain't getting a gold watch at the end of this hell no nah. that's the other thing with brooks right where it's like, you know, I feel so bad. Because, like, oh. Yeah, Brooke, Brooke it's, it's a heart-wrenching scene. Yeah, but the other thing is, Brooke's 50 years in, and you, you're thinking about this, and granted, I'm trying to transpose a, a fictional film onto reality, but you gotta feel bad for those guys who, you know, went in at, like, 20, and they get out at 70. You know, and it's like, yeah, granted, they serve their time or whatever, but you think about it, it's like, bruh, like... Some of these guys, they don't... Hey, when they say life sentence, they fucking mean it. They do mean it. I, I watched a documentary, and it was a, um, it was of this prison in, a, in I think it was, like, Detroit or something. Uh-huh. And it was this guy, and he was like, me and my friend, we broke into a lady's house, and we were stealing money to go, like, buy bikes. And she ran out, and I freaked out, and, and we killed her, right? And he went in at 13. He's, like, 35 now, and he still has... I think another like 20 years, Mm -hmm. something like that. So he's getting out basically in his like his mid fifties or sixties. Right. And he's like, I have no idea how to drive a car. He's like, I've never kissed a girl because he went in fucking 13. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I, he's like, I legitimately have no idea what I'm going to do when I get out. And that's granted. He's like, that's why he reads and studies so much. Cause when he gets out, he wants to go to college and education. But I'm like, dude, that's, that's fucked. That's real fucked. Hey, yeah, don't, don't, don't kill do, people. Don't kill people. That don't, is. A, don't go to jail. That, you know what? Helpful hint from the Film Odyssey podcast: Don't go to jail. Don't go to jail. Don't go to jail. Avoid uh, your own Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't avoid this movie because the movie's damn yeah, fine. The movie's fucking great. Uh, so where where do you want to jump on now? There's so much. God, I don't. I don't know. There's there's a lot of things to jump on from here. Oh, how do you like those like a uh, retroactive explanation type scenes? Like where we the, the 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 big reveal. Yeah, yeah, where where we see how um Andy Andy how do I, I already I've already like can't remember his name. And that's why I lost the Oscars, Randy. It's, fucking it, it slipped through their fingers. Um how Andy like does like the switcheroo with the the with the the books, yeah. you know, uh, with sw- the switcheroo with like the the suit and like the shoes, yeah, and then it's like the big reveal. It's, I think in the because we've seen that before in like the Sixth Sense, mm-hmm. and in the Sixth Sense, it's done wonderfully, you know, because it 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 just explains everything about the movie, and you don't really need it to for the movie to be good. In this, it's kind of the same thing. Really good reveal. You don't really need it for the movie to be good, and it's also a thing where it just explains his whole, like, escape plan. Yeah. And it puts more context on the rest of the film, right? And it also makes scenes that you go back to rewatch have way more tension in them. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- oh, when they're flipping the cell for the first time. 
Oh, and he's when, holding, the when he's holding the Bible. It adds tension to scenes that didn't have tension before, and that's great. It makes the movie very well, rewatchable. I feel like you already know where the rock hammer is. Yeah. Because they flip, they flip his cell, they don't find it, and there's this whole thing with the warden holding the, the, Bible. the Bible. He never opens it past the first page, and he hands it back kind of, like, strangely. Mm-hmm. You know? It's, I feel it, like you already know. It's the fucking rock hammer is in the. It's in the fucking book. Open it, the book. It's in the fucking book. What's in the box? <laughs> that that's the the other thing. So the movie also <laughs> would you <laughs> say it's predictable? The movie okay, but the thing is that With, I've seen it before, so it's hard for me to give like an objective opinion on this. Yeah, and the movies also may have reached that like cult status or like that um pop culture status where you could know the movie without actually having to see it yeah, maybe maybe i'm, I'm not sh- not on the level of like the 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 twist and sixth sense no not even close uh, i don't think it's like knowing that he escapes yeah yeah it's the cover of the fucking box yeah the cover of the fucking box is him outside <laughs> yeah i mean looking at the i think it might be a thing where it's a prison movie 90% of prison movies are prison escape movies. Yes. So somebody's going to escape and is going to escape. And now you're just like waiting to see, okay, how is it going to play out? And then we don't see him like openly doing it. Yeah. You know, we just see little hints of it, but it's not like really explained until like that reveal at the end. I mean, I think in the first 15 minutes of the movie, you're like, he's going to escape. The motherfucker wants a rock hammer. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, well, honestly, like, and then you got the coin flippers. Like, is he gonna use that to fucking kill Boggs? That's gonna. That's not gonna happen. Oh, true. Yeah. And I think the real great thing in the movie is it's a little predictable because you kind of know you know the ending basically from yeah. the jump. Yeah. But the great part about the movie is you don't care because it's so engaging all the way through. The drama is very palatable. The acting is good. You care about Andy and Red and this mm-hmm. friendship they build. Also, the other thing. People have called this the 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 chick flick for dudes, because it's just just a movie for for dudes. To just get emotional, that man. It's just two bros, <laughs> just just chilling in prison, just getting out. It's about freedom, man. You know, it's about bros. Yeah, well, yeah in a totally basically. platonic way. Totally platonic. Totally platonic. They weren't they weren't doing anything weird in the cells. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. Definitely not. Look, Andy, I haven't seen a woman now, in, in 30 years. Now, maybe not in maybe not in the prison, but definitely down in Mexico. <laughs> oh, man. It's, uh, you know, you know, you know what was excluded from the last scene in Mexico? Where's the fucking hotel? I see a boat. Where's the fucking hotel? I mean, bro, like, no, the objective <laughs> of that was to look at the fucking ocean. True. Also, I've been to the Pacific Ocean. It ain't that blue. Might be that well, blue in, the, in Mexico. Here, a secluded beach in Mexico, Dean? Look, Kino. Secluded beach in Mexico. I ain't seen a car for ten miles. Granted, the the cocaine fields are about like six blocks that way. But eh, fuck it. Yeah, we we won't talk about that. We won't talk about that. Literally, won't talk about that. Won't talk about that. (laughs) And and also, I love how how easy it is for these two guys to just be like, man, thank God it's the '60s. I just went two towns over, changed my name. I'm gone. I'm out of society. I've oh. disappeared. Dude. 
fucking um andy is so lucky that it's in like the fucking like 50s when he sets up his social security and all his birth certificate all that shit he's so fucking lucky he he waited if he got out in like the mid 70s it's done the minute barcodes become a thing it's over it's over for him it's it's fucking gone yeah and you know something crazy because like i watched that and i'm like you can't get an id like that that's so dumb and I mentioned it to, you know, our dad, I don't know, like, years ago. And he's like, he looked at me, he's like, Dean, my mother, your grandmother, ordered her license in the mail. She sent 35 cents in and she got a driver's license. She didn't have to actually drive a car. She just ordered one. I'm like, wait, what? It was was that easy? Bro, in the fucking teens you could order a tommy gun in the mail motherfucker in the mail tommy gun with ammunition to your doorstep automatic by the way there was no pussy ain't no pussy shit back then dude you could get it fucking mailed to your door for 200 dollars now i'm just saying a model t was like 240 so you're you're asking a motherfucker to spend 200 dollars on a gun Instead of two hundred dollars plus forty extra that, on a fucking that'd car, be, that'd be I, with inflation. That gotta be close to like ten grand, right? Tommy guns were retardedly expensive. It's like, like actually no. Uh, like how much is a, how much is a new car today? God, like what, like fifty, eighty grand for like something for cheap? Like, no, I think like like you can get like for for like a shitty car new, you could probably swing like twenty, twenty five grand. So Tommy gun was like. 15 20 grand yeah i think adjusted for inflation it's like probably probably somewhere around there yeah it was fuck it was retardedly expensive and during um world war ii that that company raked the u.s government over the coals dude <laughs> oh yeah it did. <laughs> like not i know we're on a huge tangent here but you know i i actually have some knowledge on this subject oh yeah the the u.s government hated that company because those guns were so fucking expensive. I, I remember you told me this, like, the first models that came out were, like, velvet inlay, and they were, like, the oh, nicest gun they, you could they buy. They were, like, they were, like, the steel was always blued, and it was, like, they, these things were, like, masterpieces. And when, you know, the U.S. government first started ordering them, they came to them as masterpieces. Like, they're the, all the wood stocks were hand-whittled and fucking everything. You know, these these things were immaculate. And the, gover- and the U.S. government, you know, we got into the war, and the U.S. government's like, hey, we... We need some more of these things. Could you could you cheapen? I mean, they were trying to cut as many corners. This is why we got the grease gun, the gun that costs like forty five cents to make. <laughs> I, that was that was fucking true because it was all stamped metal. It's and it all was... stamped bullshit, <laughs> and that is literally the reason why the grease gun. I think the grease. I actually no. I think the grease gun cost them like three cents a gun or something like that. Are you serious? Like. It that's the it was that's the reason it was called the grease gun. It looked like a like a bottle of grease or like you know like one of those little, little squirt bottles of grease, and it cost them nothing. <laughs> the the U.S. government hated buying Tommy guns so much because they were a super fucking expensive and b they couldn't get the company to stop charging them so much for them that they they made the the grease gun to be like fuck you Thompson I'm not buying any more of your bullshit. And Randy Randy almost had had the vapors when he saw the Thompson in this movie. With the oh fucking... yeah, it's got it, I, it, it's like a old school model. Like it's like it is period accurate. You know, like this is what they would have had. You know, it it, it looked good, and I kind of I I'm not sure if it had a compensator on it. 
but it did remind me of the BAR compensator and how that thing sounds like God slamming his car door many times a second. <laughs> Bro, like, uh, honestly, everybody, if you really want to get, you know, Randy started on a good conversation, talking about World War II guns, that shit is like bread and butter. Just, just talk to me on about anything that I've seen on Forgotten Weapons. <laughs> By oh, the way, God. shout out to Forgotten Weapons, you the homie. Oh yeah, We're fucking gun Jesus, right here. <laughs> Speaking uh, of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, in this movie. Yes. Andy Dufresne. Okay, Andy oh, Dufresne. Oh, one one thing I, I want to talk about real quick before you get into that. Um, I heckin' love it when people quote the Bible in movies, when they're like, you, when they're like having that like face off. You know, and the, the him and the warden in the it's in like, a cell. What's your favorite passage? Mm-hmm. And they start quoting shit back to them. That's like super like juicy with themes. Oh, Randy, I guess my shit going. No, dude. no. You wonder what really got your shit going? Like the shit that creamed your jeans when um fucking Hannibal Lecter quoted Marcus Aurelius. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> like, oh. that one was good. When he's like, "Oh, that was the fine wine. That was the aged that, wine. That was good." I, I need to read more of these books, though, so that when people quote them without, like, actually saying, like, you know, like, Hannibal Lecter said Marcus Aurelius, right? Like, he made sure everybody knew who he was who Knew, he was knew how well-read he was. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, it, it would be so much better when somebody, like, says something in a movie, I'm like, I know where that's from! It's from <laughs> this book from, like, the 1400s! <laughs> oh, God. I'm just like, that's Machiavelli! <laughs> well, well, you're the fucking um, philosophy nerd, right? Like, that was the reason you were so balls-deep on Blade Runner, because that was, like, oh, yeah. all the philosophy shit you were reading at that point. Yeah, well, I mean, it's... I wasn't really reading so much about, like, um, like, the large metaphysics stuff at that point, but, like, the everything's based off of that you know like every everything has that like that it's got mount fuji in the background you know it's like everything is based off the what does it mean to live your life you know what is a good life you know all that stuff yeah because that's like one of the like the earliest things we have is like how how does one live a good life you know that's what like plato's republic like one of the oldest and most important philosophical philosophical works ever you know is all about how to live the good life and you know, in this movie, Andy tries to live the good life as well as well as he can while in prison. Yeah, you know, he tries to better the people around him and himself. Andy, as a Christ figure, I know we kind of started the the conversation with this, but like I want to kind of round it round it back in with with this. So Andy, as a Christ figure, it's lovely mortar for the movie. It's so, it so is because you build all your theming on top of it, and it just works out. But thing is, he's a Christ figure, but is he a flawed character? Because you hear that in a lot of times, you know, the best characters are flawed characters, you know, where they have a vital thing that's wrong with them and they overcome throughout the movie. Does he have any real flaw other than his own kind of, like, self-guilt for, for the crime that he didn't even commit? He, he feel I feel his guilt really stems from the fact he drove his wife again. He was close to, uh, to committing it, though. It's true. He was real fucking close. You know? Yeah. Uh, but I... And that's the thing. Do you feel his guilt being this self-inflicted, you know, a- atonement for driving his wife into the arms of another man? Is that... Is that really his his flaw? Him Him having this sort of, like, self-persecution for this? trying to think like if he has any other flaws like i mean well the other thing is I mean, red's really the main character of the movie and he yeah, has red, flaws. red is the main character of the movie and he, he does have some some flaws thinking 
maybe mm, you could maybe say that Andy's like in it for himself too much. You think so? Yeah, because he doesn't do anything to help the prison after he's gone. True. To help like anybody other than Red after he's and he doesn't even help Red after he's gone. He gives than, he like, gives him the 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 ability to. As as the Bible says, God lo- loves those who help themselves. He gives him the ability to help himself to make the final leap. You know. Yes. Yeah. It's it's like a thing that a lot of like you know Christiany you know doctrine say or people say where you know uh, we can only take you or God can only take you so far you far you have to make it the rest of the way yourself. Mm-hmm. That's goes back into well, Andy being that eventually you have to make the leap of faith. You know. And that's Red Crossing the border that's his leap of faith i think the leap of faith happens before that his leap of faith is when he's talking to the parole officers you think so? i feel that scene because which is great because that that's morgan freeman's oscar clip right true yeah probably but i'm i'm just feeling like he could have said the same thing he always says mm. but because of andy no longer being there he takes that leap of faith and just kind of lays it out to the parole officers instead of giving him the same run-of-the-mill thing he says every time. I, I don't even know if that's... I, I can see that interpretation, but let me let me, let me me lay this one down for you. When I look at that, it's... Red had always come in there giving his, like, stock speech or whatever, and I feel that was because he was looking to be like, I feel bad about this, but what I ultimately want is to be out of here. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I think that's when he finally has that that realization where I don't care if I'm in here or out of here. Honestly, I feel so guilty about this. And it's finally when he fully accepts the guilt of what he has done and fully gives into like the reality of like what he has done. And then the parole officer season is like, there you go. Like you've shown true regret and mm-hmm. you you have actually rightfully atoned you've felt real guilt about this and you've not come in here and just said said you were reformed now you are actually reformed Mm -hmm. you you know and it's i look at it like that well that's like he's taking the plunge you know he's Mm -hmm. immersing himself in this thing that he's like repressed basically yeah which he's he's taking a leap he is he is taking a leap i do think that granted basically as soon as Andy leaves, everything with Red is him taking these continual leaps of faith and him mm-hmm. trying to, uh, as Jules in Pulp Fiction says, walk the walk the path of the righteous man. Mm-hmm. And he's trying real hard. <laughs> Love he's that line. Real hard to uh, to double bag them groceries. Damn right. Oh, also that is such a crummy job for for him for for like a 70, 60, 70 year old con on the way out just being a. A grocery ba- bagger grocery bagger because that is a, a dead-end job if there ever was no offense to any grocery baggers here but if you're in your mid-70s and you're gr- bagging grocery that's that's a rough that's a you rough better go. be already retired and only bagging groceries get out the house yeah or or like yeah you know i'm retired but eh, yeah, it pays the pays the electric bill yeah whatever i work part-time fine but like yeah, that's a rough go that is a rough go so yeah randy the Shawshank Redemption. Is it time to get to the final question? Man, I feel like the more we talked about it, the more it's it's picking up. It it's it pick, it's, pro- it's it's probably in my top five now. Really strong. I mean, I w- I don't begrudge it like at all. I think this movie is fantastic. It's one of those things where 
for me, I think is really good. Top 10 material, yeah, I could, I could see it. Top 5, I don't know. Like, honestly, I look at Silence of the Lambs and I look at that as top 5 material. But I just love the juice to this movie. You know, you bite into it and more comes out of it. Yeah, that's true. It's one of those things where you bite into Silence of the Lambs, it's sweeter, but it's not as juicy. Where this, it's like, it's juicy, but it's not not as sweet. Yeah, I mean, like, biting into Silence of the Lambs is like some prepackaged hamburger. You know, you bite into it, and that's all you get. You know, there's not juice squirting everywhere, it, it, you know? It's a little bit better than prepackaged, alright? Well, but I'm saying, like, it's good, right? It, like, everything's about it's fine, but I mean... This movie, though, it's it's like it's like you went to the Heart Attack Grill, Ooh. and you bite into that fucker, it goes everywhere. Yes, <laughs> yes. But yeah, because this is God number seventy two on on the list. Yeah, the movies are kind of picking up in quality here. Yeah, which which is really good because I remember we had that um we had a little streak a while back of, of all these movies being like, well, they're good but they're not you know yeah having having little you know little things about them that were like like masterpieces i don't know this is fine but uh yeah getting a quarter of the the movies down now yeah actually we're god we're we're almost gonna close in on a third very soon well just a little bit here yeah but i guess your your thought because it's probably pretty obvious at this point up, down, over, out. You're saying hard on up. Hard on up. I mean, I don't, I don't know what's uh, what's ahead of us here. That like how it's gonna compare, you know? Because a lot of these movies I haven't seen. I mean, I haven't even seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. I've actually really? never seen it. Have you really? Yeah, no. Like oh, I saw, like God. I looked over at the list. And I'm like, yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I haven't. I like, you know, American Graffiti, Cabaret, Network, African Queen, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Unforgiven, Tootsie, Saving... Oh, no, I've seen Saving Private Ryan. you damn well seen Saving Private so, Ryan. Well, just out of, like, those movies, I haven't seen any of those movies. The next two movies we're gonna watch, I've seen Saving Private Ryan and Clockwork Orange. Yeah. But the, what is that, like, eight after that? <laughs> haven't seen. Half Dump. of them, I have no idea what they're about. That's gonna be interesting. That's gonna be real interesting. But, I guess... As it, as it stands now, I would agree with you. I think Shawshank Redemption definitely earns its placing here. Definitely. It's one of those things where it's just like, once we do our little milestone ranking thing, things shuffle. Yes. And it's also the other thing where I kind of like us doing these little milestone things every, you know, 10 movies because reevaluating these as we go on really helps kind of put these in perspective. Some of them have gotten a little better with age mm-hmm. and some of them have gotten a little worse, but we'll see how it shakes out. Yeah. And then it's also like, Movies with sticking power are always better. Yeah. But next week, it is time, Randy. You must reconcile with the movie that was your favorite movie for your entire childhood. It's kind of a strange movie to have as your favorite movie <laughs> in your childhood, Saving Private Ryan. It's, but uh, it definitely was. It, it yes. have, As a small child, I definitely wanted to be Mr. Army Man. You, uh, you wa- We watched Saving Private Ryan how many times as kids? Oh, God. I must have seen it at least 20 times when I was a kid. Easily. I'm, pr- I'm pretty conservative on like my estimates because I know I didn't like watch... It was, it was Normandy Beach, and then, like, eh, you kind of drifted yeah, in after the rest of it. And then, I, you know, I probably go into the other room, like, half the time. Or just, like, it's on on the TV while I'm doing something else. Like, when I was a kid, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's, it was Saving Private Ryan. I heckin' loved the movie when I was a kid. Yeah, and... and 
I'll have, we'll, we'll see if, uh, if it is as good as, uh, oh man, I am not looking forward to this. I'm just like, serious? I'm, I'm really hoping it's everything that like, you know, my mind's eye cracks it up to be cause I'm having my doubts. I'm like, oh, please. Like, is it, is this the one you're just like, you're like, I'm not, it, I'm not a pious man, but I will pray that, that, <laughs> that the same prayer Ryan holds up. Um, I'm sure it will, but it's just like, I have that like nagging feeling that I'm going to watch it and be like. Nah, not ain't it, ain't it, Chief? It's not it anymore. Well, the biggest thing about it, Randy, is it's our first Steven Spielberg. Uh, the first of five Spielberg films on this the list. First of five Bergs. First of five Spielbergs, which, I mean, Sam Ryan, Ryan, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see this one. I've seen it before, pretty recently, for a, like a, a, another podcast, but it was a long time ago, and I remember very good you know really really enjoyed it i think it did hold up pretty well but i'm really excited to see how, how you view it because that is going to be the the cornerstone of that episode <laughs> it's going to be my thoughts on the movie because i i can well i i would uh, in the past have considered myself uh, somewhat of a world war ii history buff you know and all, all these different kinds of things this was the reason you were so into the call of duty games for yes, so long and like part of the reason part of the reason why i was uh, i was and still am like very into like history mm. so yeah <laughs> randy looks back in his past and so much was shaped by saving, saving private, ryan. private ryan and well ha- that's half the reason uh that i liked history so much and the other half is rome total war uh, namely gladiator no, no, yeah. no, not Gladiator. I don't watch Gladiator. How did you not watch Gladiator? Man, no, about Rome Total War, dog. Because this land is Roman. This land is Roman. But oh, God. <laughs> uh, if you want to see Randy play through Rome Total War this weekend on Twitch. Uh, God, God. <laughs> yeah, no. Nah. Yeah, right. But if you did want to listen to oh, the episode God. next week, you can check us out on basically everywhere you can get your podcast. Uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, so on and so forth. You can also find us at our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. Used to be in the frame. It is now The Film Vault. Uh, On YouTube, show up, subscribe, talk, comment, do whatever you want. It's a lot of fun. Especially comment, because I want to read what people think about us. It Uh, sounds hilarious. Yes, yes. Uh, The last one I I saw was, man, this is awful. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) I'm like, why did you respond to that? I'm over here being like, you should have been like, damn right. awful and proud awful and proud uh but yeah so i'm excited for next week i think it's gonna be a lot of fun but randy any last words get busy podcasting or get busy uploading god that is so awful what is wrong i am here awful and proud of it oh god have a good week everybody